You guys, welcome to episode 55 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives into well-known and more importantly, not-so-well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Troy McGeady, and uh, let me just start by telling you that I'm having another very wild late night. Uh, I just, you know, I was, again, I was going to record this the next day, I was going to record it tomorrow, but I am under the spell of of a satanic beast named Charlie Sheen. I truly understand now what tiger blood means. When when Charlie sat there on that chair, wild-eyed, pale and translucent, with that raspy, scary voice, uh, he spoke of tiger blood, and I didn't really understand what it meant. I don't think any of us really knew what it meant. We thought we got it, but we didn't. And now I fully get it. I've had enough of it, though. I'm telling you, I've had enough. I am concluding our Charlie Sheen trilogy today because I can't take it anymore, you guys. I feel like I've had a haunting. I've truly had a haunting. My house has been, it needs cleansed. It needs saged. I need blessed. I need prayed upon. Like, I need a full exorcism in, like, a Southern Baptist basement. I need all the things, truly, because I am, like, it is dark-sided in the words of an iconic, (laughs) an iconic... Uh, reality TV queen, uh, the gapped tooth woman from Life Swap, whose name I don't know. It is ungodly, unchristian, slankets, gargoyles. That's the life of Charlie Sheen. Just ungodly, truly unchristian. And you guys know me. I've I've dabbled in enough dark sided stuff the past few weeks that I just can't do it anymore. As a Christian, I can't. You guys, we're concluding. This crazy fucking story today with an episode that is truly experimental. If this works, it works. If it doesn't, I'm sorry. I'm going to try something new today. It's our first true thruple, if you will. Um, We've talked in the past about you know, relationships that sort of interlude with other people. Like, uh, in the Evan Rachel Wood and Marilyn Manson episode, there was a lot of, like, Dita Von Teese involvement or whatever. But never to this extent. This is, like, an actual thruple. Um... And I'm just going to do my best to keep track of it and make sense of it. Um, We're going to be jumping all over the place. It's going to be very Pulp Fiction today. A story truly told in 30 different ways from the very beginning. Like, I I don't know. We're just going to go for it. We're just going to go for it. Much like my favorite movie, Go. You know what I mean? This is just going to be a bunch of scenes slapped together. And hopefully it will equate to some sort of masterpiece and not a complete disaster. I really hope I do you guys justice. Again, um... I was going to record this uh, tomorrow, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I just want, I, I want to do it now because I just can't, uh, I can't go to sleep like this. I can't, I can't do it. I gotta, I gotta get this out. This is truly going to be an exorcism. This is some, uh, this is some crazy shit. I mean, if you thought Charlie Sheen's arrest record was like wild, you guys, I'd like to introduce you to a woman named Heather fucking Locklear. Today we're going to be talking about Heather Locklear, Richie Sambora, and Denise Richards. This toxic thruple. Um, you know, in the past uh, episode that we did on Denise, in the first part of this three-part series, I guess we're calling it, um, you know, I-, I mentioned that maybe I didn't have a correct opinion of Denise Richards. Maybe I thought I knew who De- Denise Richards was, or like... I fall into the trap of whatever the public thinks Denise Richards is, or I don't know. 
But I didn't really know Denise Richards. Like, I don't think any of us really do. And I even watched her reality show. Um, so it's, you know, it's going to be even more interesting for me now to see her on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which, you know, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go. Denise Richards, I, I, don't, I don't know what conflict... Denise Richards looks like she retreats a lot from the, from what I've read she takes the high road you know I'm I'm picturing her to fall into sort of an Eileen uh, uh an Eileen sort of like archetype on that show where like you know it's gonna take her a few years to really like get messy but I don't know I could be completely wrong she could be so destitute and ready to to like get her name out there again that she'll be shattering wine glasses on people's faces I don't know I don't know but today, my main focus is going to be on these three. Heather Locklear, I just want to start by saying, and then we're going to get into it. I promise. I'm going to stop rambling. But I just want to say that Heather Locklear is somebody, she is a part of this group of people in Hollywood who are, for many years, have been living under the radar this very sort of horrifying life. Do you know what I mean? Heather Locklear lives in a true... Um, Sylvia from Intervention, hell, I would imagine, just a true hellscape is her life. Uh, this is a woman who has been arrested so many times, I can't even, I mean, truly, I have nine pages of arrests. Uh, she, I don't know. Denise Richards has a really interesting past, and past, and I say this all the time, and I, most of the time I'm joking, but in this case, I'm not. This woman is in dire need of a Lifetime movie. She is one of the most fascinating lives, I think, of anybody I've ever done on this podcast, in my opinion. Her fall from grace has been so um, unexpected, but also a, lo a long time coming. And I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm really, I was, I've almost sort of put Charlie aside like I really he was like my little poly poly pocket toy that I wanted to take out and like present at a party and say remember Charlie Sheen but now I feel like I've taken that toy and sort of placed it on a shelf like Andy in Toy Story like he's like at the bottom of the chest and I'm like ready to, I'm like fully jazzed up on Heather like I'm full of Heather energy right now um so yeah we should just get right into it I'm, I'm gonna stop fucking rambling or whatever you consider what this is uh <laughs> so heather locklear and richie sambora dated um they started dating in may of 1994 and they separated in december of 2005 um their divorce became official in april of 2007 um they have a child together ava elizabeth sambora who was born in 97 and uh heather and richie were always um they were seen as one of those Hollywood couples that would just make it because they were together for so long. And I think people were really um, surprised by not only their breakup, but like what became of Heather after they broke up. Like she really, I mean, this was clearly her K-Fed and you guys know how I feel about that. <laughs> no need to get into that rant again, but uh, this was her K-Fed, you know what I mean? This was the guy that really changed her life. He came in and, and, and sort of switched something in her brain and made her a different person um, and you know, I always say like, when it comes to a K-Fed, like they can make your life, they always flip your life upside down no matter what, right? Like no matter who they are, 
And no matter what the situation, your K-Fed comes and they fucking flip your shit around and then you look at your life before them and it's completely different, for better or for worse. In some cases, people get, like, wait, you know, real happy after they're K-Fed because they learn a bunch of shit about themselves. But in some cases, there are women who just fall into this, like, this trap of, like, poor decision-making. And Heather is the complete antithesis, you know what I mean, the complete antithesis of what that means to just fall into this horrible sort of spiral and never really find, you know, find your footing again. Like she's just been tumbling for 10 years and she just continues to tumble and things in 2018 really seem to have like come to some sort of head. They really just, I mean, it's just in the past few months, she's just, you know, it's all been put out there. All the stuff that if you read You've known for many years about about uh, Heather Locklear, um, and as we know, this was a uh, a relationship that ended. I mean, much like Wild Things. I mean, can we talk? <laughs> this is sort of a Wild Things situation. Like the, it ended in a big twist where her best friend ended up with her ex husband very publicly. And they became enemies, and it's so messy because there's some Charlie Sheen involvement regarding Heather, who he worked with on Spin City, um, and they, I mean, this just, it's a lot, you guys. It's a lot. And I just want to do my best to try and make sense of this fucking truly trailer trash level shit. Like, this is white trash on a level that I can't even really put into words. Like, I don't I don't possess the ability to s- string the words along. I don't know what this is, but we're just going to get started. We're going to talk about Heather. I have a lot to say, as you can tell. I am all jazzed up. I'm also, by the way, let me just tell you a really funny story or something that just happened. I've had, like, eight coffees today, if you can't tell. I literally haven't taken a breath so far. It's been ten minutes, and I have yet to breathe in. Um... But earlier today, I have this coffee cup that I'm, like, very very much into right now. You know how you, like, get a cup that you just, like, use a lot for a short period of time and then you, like, move on from it? So I'm, like, using this coffee cup a lot. Left it at my friend's house for, like, I don't know, I guess, like, a week or so. And, like, I thought I had lost it. I just didn't really... It left my mind. And I realized that I, like, tucked it away at their house in some weird, like, nook where, like, nobody could see it. And then today I was like, oh, my God, that's my cup cool. And I lifted it up and she was heavy. She had liquids in her. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. You know what I mean? Because that means it was probably a nice coffee, which means I put some, like, heavy cream in it. And, you know, you know where this is going. And then I went to open her up and I tossed her in the sink. And let's just say she came out like jellied cranberry sauce. I'm just saying. You guys, I, I know. I know. You're probably going to work. That was inappropriate. I want you to have a good day. I don't want to soil your day, but like it came out, it was very, it was a similar cause consistency to a jellied cranberry sauce. Um, it made a splat sound. I told my friend that it sounded like a Nickelodeon side effect, sound effect from the nineties. Um, I don't know why I felt the need to tell you that story, but I just needed to really get it off my chest. Uh, Heather Locklear. <laughs> was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Um, her story reminds me a lot of, like, Pam Anderson. Not only because she was married to Tommy Lee for a little while. Oh, yes, there's also some Tommy Lee involvement, you guys. 
It's like the freaks come out at night. Like this is the this is the relationship that ends all other relationships relationships on this podcast. I think. I think this is the one that does it. Um, but she reminds me of of uh, Pam in the sense that, you know, she was gonna probably become famous no matter what. Like she was beautiful. She had that very sort of like California girl aesthetic at a time when that was like really popular in the eighties, and you know. She was doing modeling and acting, and you know, no matter what she was doing, I think that she would have somehow become famous. Like, young Heather Locklear just had that thing, like, whatever that thing is that used to make Aaron Spelling put her in all of his shows, uh, she just has that thing, whatever it is that you're just born with. Um, her mom was a production executive, and her dad was an administrator at UCLA, which is where she went to school. Um, he was also a Marine. As I'm sure you probably guessed, uh, as a young girl, you know, she started off, like I said, as a model. Um, she had done some local commercials. She had done some commercials for UCLA, actually. And uh, she was discovered on campus by a Wilhelmina modeling agency, agency scout. And uh, she ended up leaving school to focus on modeling. I don't think she ever went back. Uh, but she did say in a biography that I watched of hers on YouTube that, you know, her parents were obviously, they're like scholars, you know, and they wanted her to go back to school until her dad realized that she was like this big star. And he was like, all right, well, maybe you don't have to go back to school. I mean, she was, Heather Locklear in the 80s was, oh, I'm trying to avoid using it. Sorry, girl. I know you're listening. Iconic. Sorry about it. Uh, she made her television debut in guest appearances, of course, as they all do. She was in Chips. Uh, she did a guest appearance on Eight is Enough, uh, which led to her uh, meeting and becoming one of Aaron Spelling's television muses. Uh, one of the many girls that he would, you know, cast in shows. I think she was one of his original, like, girls, the way that Hitch Hitchcock had his girls. Uh, you know, Heather was one of Aaron Spelling's, like, you know, he would craft an entire show around her. I mean, he truly, like, worshipped her. Um, and she was also one of the first actresses to uh, appear on two hit television shows at the same time. And not just, like, hit television shows. Like, literally culture-changing shows. Um, she was uh, on Dynasty and uh, TJ Hooker at the same time. And, uh, I mean, like... <sighs> She was, I mean, I don't know if you guys have gone, ever gone back and watched Dynasty. Like, Dynasty is obviously much before my time. I was born the year that it was, uh, the years that it was popular. Um, but I've gone back and watched Dynasty episodes on YouTube, as I'm sure all 30-year-old males have. I mean, right, fellas? Isn't that something that we just do when we come home from work? To put on the YouTube and search Dynasty, uh, slap montages. Right, boys? Um... But when Aaron cast her as Sammy Jodine in the second season of the show, um, you know, she really changed the, she changed the entire show. Like, America fell in love with her. She was, uh, this is where she sort of, like, honed her ability to play a bitchy woman. That's what Heather Locklear was known for. I don't know if young people really get it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I even know how to... I don't know if there's a person I can really compare her to. Like, Heather Locklear was... In one of the episodes of this podcast that I did with Princess Curtis, we t it was for Tori Spelling, 
And we were talking about Heather Locklear. I don't know why we said anything about her for a couple minutes, but we were. And I remember her saying that Heather was like, um, Heather was like as famous as like a young person would compare like Rihanna. Like she was like an American staple. Like she was just everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, when she was cast as Sammy Joe, that's how she learned how to play a bitch. And that's what she became known for. Uh, she actually also, I read in an article that she was voted TV Guide's uh, most improved actress after her first year on Dynasty. Apparently she had taken acting classes by this guy, uh, by this acting coach that she worked with for the rest of her career up until, I don't know, whatever you would consider this portion of her career to be. Um, but yeah, her acting improved after the first year that she was on the show. It became extremely noticeable. Apparently it was a big deal in the 80s to be voted TV Guide's most uh, improved actress. Like, what a weird award to get. Um, but yeah, and it's it's also, I don't know, maybe it's not as big of a deal to imagine now, but in the 80s, especially for two Aaron Spelling shows to be, you know, the one of the leads in both shows and to have them be such different content, but also to be playing like a pseudo same character, just like a, a pretty bitch on both, like, you know, that was a big deal. Um, and that was all even before fucking Melrose Place, you guys. Can we have a conversation about Melrose Place? Oh my god, it just feeds every dark part of my body that it shouldn't. Melrose Place is campy in the way that I can, like, become really addicted. Uh, okay, so in 1993, Aaron cast her as Amanda Woodward in the 90210 spinoff, Melrose Place. This is obviously Heather's opus. It's what she's known for, you know. Uh, Amanda Woodward is, you know... She's, I mean, if you Google Amanda Woodward and, and and look at any sort of, like, television countdown list of some of the greatest characters in television history, like, Heather is at almost the top of many of those lists. Like, she really just, all of the years of playing, like, a gorgeous bitch paid off because in Melrose Place, this was, like, where she really spread her wings uh, and just played, like, the most... HBIC, in the words of Tiffany Pollard, bitch to ever exist, really. Um, and she also received critical acclaim. I mean, people worshipped her. People worshipped Heather Locklear. Especially on Melrose Place. Um, the first season of the show was actually very critically panned. And it struggled in the ratings. Um, and this was back in the day when, like, you know, a network would allow a show to, like, have a bad season and not cancel it. And... You know, a show could, like, make mistakes or make weird creative choices and kind of slip in and out of the ratings and be really popular or, you know, dip really low. And the network would give them time to sort of, like, build, you know, a history. You know what I mean? And I remember being younger and a lot of shows like that that you, you know, were on for, you know, seven or eight years. You would look back and see all of these sort of, like... You know, if it's a show that you went went back and watched a lot, um, you would see these sort of slips and slopes, and you'd have favorite seasons and, like, least favorite seasons, which I guess is kind of like that now, but it's just different. Like, a network now will cancel a show in, like, two episodes. Like, there are shows that get canceled now where I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? 
What, did they not rank in 98 million viewers that night? They had 92? I mean, like, what? Um, but yeah, this was, like, back in those days. And this was when Aaron Spelling was just absolutely fucking ruling television. Like, nobody could fuck with Aaron Spelling. He was, like, the king of TV. Anything he touched was gold. It was an honor for any actress to be asked to be in an Aaron Spelling show, especially to be the lead. Um, and Heather actually, uh, she did an interview with the Hollywood Reporter at the time where she said, uh, Aaron said they wanted to add some more conflict to the show. And she had told him that she basically didn't want Amanda to be this like one dimensional woman. Amanda was like a boss woman. She was like older, you know, she was, this was a show about like 20 somethings and like young people living in this apartment building. And Heather's sole purpose on the show is that she was, like, the older, more mature, like, staunch, wealthy, cutting, gorgeous bitch. Um, and she had also made it clear that, you know, she wanted to be betrayed as an adult. Like, she didn't want to be a, a, a approaching 40-year-old woman trying to play, like, a young gal, like, running on the beach in California. Like, that wasn't what she was looking to do. Um, and obviously Melrose Place became a hit specifically because of Heather. You know, she brought like this, uh, this different level of like campiness to the show that allowed them to really lean in. And it truly became, I mean, I don't know if you guys have gone back and watched any episodes of Melrose Place. I don't know if you were alive when it was on. I don't know if you were a full-fledged adult living for the moment that it was on television. But like, you know, after Heather became popular on the show and the, 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 level of campiness that she brought to the show became the reason people watched the entire show just became a fucking peewee's playhouse like it really was fucking insane there were murders every week there were people dying and coming back to life there were explosions like uh, twins appearing out of nowhere i mean it was really like old school soapiness and i remember like no, I just remember being really, really into the fact that it was, like, cat fightiness, because, like, that was popular in the 90s to see, like, it was, like, pre-Housewives, you know what I mean? So that was our, you know, seeing women in, soap, like, soapy television shows, like, slap each other by pools and, you know, throw each other into pools and fucking wedding dresses and boas. I mean, that is truly a scene from Melrose Place, where two women get in a slapping match and then have a pool fight. One of them in a wedding gown. Like, that's the kind of shit we lived for in, in the early 90s. Like, that's that's where our mental level, our mental capacity stopped. Um, we also have to really briefly, you guys, talk about Heather and Tommy Lee. Because they were married for a very long time. And I don't want to focus too much on this because I think I'm going to have to save it for another episode. I'm positive I'm going to have to save it for another episode, actually. Um, I'm already discussing three different people in this one, so, like, I can't get two buck. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it is a part of her life, and we, you know, we do have to mention it. Heather and Tommy met backstage at an REO Speedwagon show. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, they were introduced by Chuck Shapiro, a Motley Crue's accountant at the time, and... I guess he was also the accountant for REO Speedwagon. Um, People Magazine described Tommy at that time as a pig, <laughs> a pig rock star 
living off Jack Daniels and Marlboro cigarettes. And they described Heather as the beauty to his beast, all giggles and G-rated pinup dreams. Um, and that was very much Heather's public identity in the 80s. Like, she was, you know, and for a majority of her career, even though she played bitchy women on television, <coughs> in the 80s, Heather was known as this sort of, like, American dream. She was a blonde-haired, giant blue-eyed, perfect body, you know, could act well enough woman that people liked being seeing be bitchy on TV. America loved her. And if they only knew what was really going on... And it, by the way, this is what's interesting to me, is that it's like, I don't know where old Heather begins and where new Heather... I don't know where old Heather ends and where new Heather begins. Like, I don't know where the line became so clear that Heather Locklear was, like, actually this really sort of mentally deranged, I don't know, just woman that was just suffering from mental health and, like, extreme issues with depression and substance abuse and, you know, several, like, suicide attempts. I mean, Heather at this point is, like, almost at a full 5150 level of needing help. And I just wonder what, of course, my mind immediately goes to like what was happening during this time that led her down this horrible path. You know, what the fuck was going on with Heather Locklear? I mean, you have to imagine she married Tommy Lee like for seven years. And you guys know, if you've, li- if you've listened to this podcast, you know from the Tommy Lee and Pam Anderson episode that like, you know, Tommy was like no fucking joke. You know what I mean? Tommy was no joke to be married to. She was married to him at the peak of his most debaucherous years, too. Like, Pam at least got sober Tommy. Allegedly. Heather was happily married for seven years to the same Tommy that lived in a house that was infested with, like, rats and had a hole. As you guys know, you heard the episode. If not, I really recommend going back and listening. The same Tommy that had a a shattered glass hole in his basement window and women would crawl through, fuck him while he's like basically unconscious and then leave all day. Like the same Tommy that lived in a house that had so many roaches in the stove that they would open it and spray hairspray in it with a lighter. Seven years. What was going on? Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what's, what is really happening with Heather Locklear is what I need to know. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't know. We're going to save that, though. I, you, I, I'll, you know how I am, and I'll go off on, like, a fucking 80-minute tangent. Like, I really have to, like, reel myself in, because there are so many triggers for me in this episode. It's like walking through an enchanted forest. Literally everywhere I look is a fruit hanging from a tree. And I want to pick them all. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just a lot. Uh, Now, we have to talk about Richie. I don't know if you guys... I don't know. I don't know if you know anything about Richie Sambora's life. I mean, I didn't. Why would I? Do you know what I mean? All I know about Richie is what I read in the tabloids. If you're interested in a little Richie backstory just to, I don't know, you know, add a little bulk to to the story, here it is. 
You know what I mean? I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Richie Sambora was born in Perth, Amboy, New Jersey. He grew up in Woodbridge. Uh, his mother was a secretary, and his dad worked in construction. Apparently, Richie started playing music after the death of Jimi Hendrix when he was 12 years old. I guess it affected him so deeply that it made him want to learn how to play guitar, uh, which obviously changed his life. Um, Richie, he had a very Catholic upbringing, uh... And the, actually, the first time he ever performed on a stage was at a Catholic youth organization dance as a teenager. Um, he was a guitarist for a band called Message, who put out an independent record with, uh, which I guess, like, after they became famous, it went it went back into, uh, the pr- into pressing, is that what they call it? It went back into being pressed? I don't know. Um... So they re-released it in 95, and then they also re-released it in the year 2000. Um, If you're interested in that, you can pick it up, I'm sure, on iTunes. Richie, I know that you're listening. You're welcome. Um, And Richie was, I mean, just like, you know, most 80s rockers, he was, like, a member of, like, 20 different bands before he ended up in one that took off. Uh, He was in one called Mercy. They were signed to a, uh, a label owned by Led Zeppelin. Uh, he was then with a band called Duke Williams and the Extremes, where they did, like, improv, like, jam band shit, which is, like, my literal nightmare. The thought of going, like, can we stop for a second, and can you name something worse than a an hour of a jam band? No offense to anybody who loves jam band music, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, pr- I'm praying for you, really, because, oh, God, I remember being in high school... You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, you'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.